Thank you for listening to the Highlander Podcast, where we have conversations about the past, present, and future of the outdoor industry. Thanks to Utah State University's Outdoor Product Design and Development Program for making it possible and for training the future product leaders of the outdoor industry. Learn more about the program at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the Highlander Podcast, Britt Olson, General Manager for the Americas Region at On Running, talks to students about how she builds high-performing teams and what she looks for in great candidates. How many of you are familiar with ON or were familiar with ON before this call? I hope today at least you are. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, So ON ON started in in the Swiss Alps. I'll share a little bit more about that. Um, I joined ON in 2014, so eight and a half years ago, which is uh, an eternity in ON life. So when I joined, I walked into a tiny corner office in Portland and there were two people sitting around a Ikea table with, with two laptops. Um, and there was a a duffel bag of shoes in the corner and I thought, Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Um, the Swiss, the Swiss guys that I've been talking to really have some work to do to start a brand in the U S um, flash forward eight and a half years later, I think, you know, probably you, you see the story. We're now a public company. We have about 450 people just in the Americas region, 2000 people globally and are, uh, the fastest growing sportswear brand. Uh, in the world. So it's been, it's been quite an incredible journey. And I thought maybe I would just let a nice video do some talking about uh, who we are as a brand. So I'm going to hit play. Please shout if you can't hear this. When was the last time you dared to dream? Like really dared to dream? The type of dream that can be so powerful, it shapes the course of your life of everything you do. The type of dream that gets you up and moving each and every day, literally up and moving. The type of big, scary dream that summons and ignites the power of the human spirit. Yeah, that type of dream. One so audacious, you hardly dare to utter its existence. One that will not just need the power of the human spirit, but all the power of the human spirit when things get tough. Because we promise you, things will get tough. There will be times when it feels like it might never be anything but a dream. Potential. Unfulfilled. But here's the thing. There is nothing more powerful than the human spirit. Nothing. 
So dream on. Dream on. Cool. F fun fact, Chloe Abbott, who's narrating that, if there's any fans of The Voice, she's uh, she's on The Voice this season. I think she's in the battles on Tuesday night. So <laughs> there, there you go. She's a great track athlete of ours. Um, that's just a nice uh, mission video, mostly used internally to set the stage for what ON is as a movement performance and innovation company, um, which has led us to finally, after several years, be able to articulate um, a mission, which is uh, to ignite the human spirit through movement. And essentially at ON, we, we have a belief that when we move, we access reserves of performance that go far beyond the physical. So we do discover a capacity to dream um, we challenge ourselves to think, can, can running or movement, skiing, whatever it is, being in the mountains, produce world-changing ideas? Um, and we, we think so. Fortunately, this is uh, a bit of our, our playground. So this is where On was founded uh, 13 years ago now in the Engadine Valley, if any of you have been there. Um, and, uh, on our 10 year, uh, anniversary or our 10 year birthday, actually, we built this amazing, very sustainable mountain hut that our shoe designers built. Uh, and we put it up here in the Engadine. And basically it was just a place of peace and calm and refuge. Uh, it was a creative think tank space. We had folks kind of from all over the world that came to visit it from, uh, runners and athletes all the way to architects, designers, professional skiers. CRISPR cards spent some time here shooting for us. Uh, and the the idea and the concept was always that um, this was going to be sort of a, a really cool flat pack mountain hut that was going to then travel to Japan the next year. But COVID struck. So <laughs> uh, that that didn't continue. But really, a lot of what we do about on, at ON, especially if you're a consumer and you're sort of watching from the outside, is um, we talk a lot about our connection to our Swiss heritage and our Swiss roots, which I think gives a lot of credibility to our performance technology. Uh, especially um, being that we have such a such amazing access to this outdoor testing ground. Without um, without without our athletes, on would would actually be nothing. I think any sportswear brand would probably feel the same. Coming into a sportswear uh, ecosystem in 2009, probably you can imagine felt like a pretty stupid idea. <laughs> to be honest, the, the founders have some interesting stories of people basically laughing and saying, what are you doing? Uh, you're going to, you're going to be a very small fish in a pond full of Nike and Adidas and Under Armour, and uh, you have no money, no funding. I'm not sure how this is going to work. So really we took the approach given that the founders were athletes and we started uh, getting a lot of credibility with uh, triathletes specifically. Now, uh, if you follow the running scene or, or even not, I have to admit, I'm, I'm not actually a track spectator or fan, or I wasn't until we um, launched the OAC, the On Athletics Club, two years ago, and it's now become the, the number one track club in America. And so for the past two years, uh, we've really been winning a ton of medals with athletes and trying to bring a completely different run culture feeling uh, to the sport of, of track and field. I think something that running brands face a challenge on when it comes to athletes is it's not a sport where you can walk into most households and people can name you a runner. I mean, 
I could probably pose the question today, and I'm not sure how many of you would be able to to name more than two or three, if you even got to two or three professional runners across any discipline, whereas it's much easier to name professional basketball players, footballers, uh, skiers even. Uh, so we've, we've really taken a, a very different approach in building, trying to build on um, as at the forefront of run culture and to build track and field and the sport of running very much as a spectator sport. So more to come. Uh, and then just to give you a few quantitative highlights, uh, which are not always my favorite to focus on, but they are the result of, I think, a, an excellent team, which is what we're here to talk about today and why we uh, spend a lot of time on making sure we're hiring the right people. Uh, so on, as a snapshot, I already told you we started in 2010. Innovation has really been at the core of everything we do along with uh, design and sustainability. So those are sort of our three core pillars internally, specifically when we look for talent. We currently have over... Um, Sorry, this number needs to be updated. We have about 1,900 uh, teammates now representing 79 nationalities, 46% uh, across leadership levels, 1.2 billion uh, in net sales uh, for the fiscal year 2022, which we just launched, 70% uh, growth and an EBITDA margin of 13.5%. So just to, to make a note there, I know we can move into more fun stuff, but I think what's been different about ON when it comes to financial sustainability is that since day one, we've always been very focused on profitability and not just top line. So we're typically an organization that can never sets a business plan to be able to fully meet demand. We'd rather have uh, less supply than the demand that we can meet. So we, we, we are constantly adjusting business plan to take down uh, our opportunity, which I don't know about you guys, but I've worked for a lot of other startups and I don't want to generalize, but most of the startups I worked at before were American startups. And this is very much not the way we we uh, financially ran businesses. So it's it's quite a, a Swiss, uh, Swiss view, I think, on um, the profitability. And then if you just compare that to some other big brands that maybe you're all studying or researching or wearing or talking to, when you look at uh, our CAGR, which is our compounded annual growth rate, uh, it skews much higher, um, especially uh, when you compare the the, the y-axis on e-com penetration. So you can see like a Lululemon, um, high, high e-com penetration, but still not even um, the growth that uh, on, is, on is seeing. So good. I could always talk for hours about the history of on, but I won't bore you. So I, I figured I'd end the intro part there and move more into culture and teams and people. Good. So I think before the ask of this session was to really talk about talent that we're hiring. And I felt that in order to set the stage for that, it's important for you all to understand how much effort we put into our culture and building that because ultimately that's what drives who we hire and the talent that we try and, and source and, and bring in. So um, I just wanted to share our view on that and then also uh, share how this influences the teams we build. I am sort of posing discussion questions in here. If you don't feel comfortable having the discussion today, maybe it's something you guys can take back in another session or just something individually you can you can kind of marinate on. Um, but they're questions that we regularly ask ourselves when it comes to to the team. So has anyone seen this Tuckman model before? Okay. 
So this is this is a really important model I feel that tells that helps level set the stages of team development in order to get to be a high performing um, high performing team. So I think um, we kind of always are going through this: Are we in a forming, storming, norming, real team performing, uh, or adjoining uh, a method? And if you look here, this gives you a little bit more of the definitions. Um, of where we're at. So often at ON, we'll sit with individual teams, whether it's marketing, sales, different regions. We have several teams now. Uh, it's probably even interesting for all of you in your professional careers or maybe in your, your study groups is to, to kind of figure out where you would put yourself and your team on this stage. And to also always remember that it's changing all the time. So if you might be somewhere now, you'll probably be somewhere different uh, three months from now. But this really helps to... This really helps you to navigate who is on the team, the performance of individuals on the team, and also who you need to bring into the team in order to get you onto this high-performing arc. The last stage, of course, is um, my favorite and sometimes the bane of my existence as a leader, if I'm being honest, is this adjoining phase, which basically always says that when you've reached the peak uh, and you're just feeling good. You're on top of the mountain. You feel like you finally accomplished it and you did it. Uh, just, you know, don't hold your breath because someone's going to leave. Someone new is going to come in. A skill set's going to change. The business is going to scale. And then you sort of have to go sometimes all the way back to the beginning to get everybody out up to the same, the sort of same speed there. So, um, I won't spend too much more time on this because I'm going to just share all of this with you so you have access to, to this content and you might find this, this helpful. But essentially, there's three things that I, I wanted to get across today of, of a baseline for being a high-performance team. And, and these are just beliefs that we have as a, as a company. So one is that adequate performance is, is actually not enough. Um, this might sound harsh, but as I kind of go through, we'll, we'll talk through what that means. We have a very, very release control uh, mentality. So I'll, I'll talk about that. Um, and we have a very candid feedback culture. And so these three things, I think, help um, you know make on certainly be a place I've wanted to, to be a part of building and be because I'm just very simply put, uh, would, would never work for a hierarchical, political kind of BS organization. And I think that there are, there are plenty of those uh, as a watch out. So these things are our guiding principles for us. So we really try and be very performance driven, empowered and uncountable. And I'm just going to kind of fly through some prompts here of, of questions. So this is relevant in school. Maybe think how, how do, or how did you feel when in your group, you've been assigned a student that wasn't the most dedicated? How was the quality of the output? I'm sure we've all been in this situation. As a leader, whether you're in a leadership position now or you're a peer leader, you don't have to manage people to be a leader, by the way. That's an absolutely like false assumption in the world, I believe, of business. Um, as a leader, who are the people that consume most of your time and energy? This is a, a super important question to ask. When in meetings or in group projects, do you notice that there are some people who are reducing the level of group discussion and somehow slowing down the flow? How do you feel when someone is not contributing to the team results at the same level as others and there's no action being taken to solve it? So these are some prompts we ask if we're having situations where maybe something just innately doesn't maybe feel right and it's been a bit hard to pinpoint why. 
But the reality is that poor performance is especially contagious. So the best predictor of how a team performs is not actually how great the best performer is or what the average member is like. More often, it comes down to what the worst team member is like. And then you have to make really tough decisions um, from a culture and team building perspective and who you bring into a team, right? So this is, uh, this is not our work. This is work done. It's called the culture dilemma. Very tough decisions that need to be made, oftentimes seen as polarities. But, you know, there's a, always a, a weight between job security or high performance, sort of this feedback sandwich that, that tastes good, but it's really nothing new that you're giving people versus honest and critical feedback that you didn't receive before. And then my personal favorite, I think, um, you know, you hear a lot of organizations, uh, specifically in the tech world over the last years that have sold this dream that uh, working, working for them is like a family. And while I think there is some beauty to being able to show up to work and have, have that comfort and that camaraderie and that culture, which I think we very much feel, it's really a team. And the difference between a family and a team is that a spot on a team is earned, not given. Right. And so I think there's a very clear, important differentiation here when people say, you know, you're going to join a team that feels like a family or are you going to join a team that feels like a sports team? And then there's this sort of politeness and comfort versus honesty and stretch. And so, and by the way, I just want to pause because I'm probably making this sound like we're a very harsh culture. We're absolutely not. People will tell you we're, we're one of the best places to work. Um, and I think the reason why is because we have this very candid, radical feedback environment where it's based on respect, it's based on direct feedback, and it's based on psychological safety, right? So none of this works unless you are building a team or a culture where you have psychological safety, meaning people can show up every day and be themselves no matter what. They don't put on a fake face and that they know they're getting the honest feedback in order to be the best next version of themselves personally and professionally. So we spend a lot of time um, evaluating folks and calibrating where people sit. And this is not a, um, that's to say we do not have a, a Netflix culture, right? So I think there's, which I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but just to, to delineate a difference, there are some cultures that take this, I think, too far where people are basically expecting at the end of the year to have 10% of uh, a workforce cut based on these, these methods. We take more of the approach of, hey, let's make sure that we're doing everything we can to invest in our team and our employees to make sure everybody is sort of sitting in this high potential, uh, high performance uh, area up here in this, this sort of upper, upper right section. Most of this comes back to giving candid feedback, right? So a lot of what I've discussed already. Um, and in order to create a, a culture very much where we accept failure. So I know this is quite a, a cliche fail fast kind of mentality, but really at on, it's something that um, something that we're, we're, we're really, really strict on making sure that folks feel that they can take risks. Otherwise, um, you know, you can't, you actually can't create an innovation culture if you build too much process, right? So if you build a team or you have people come in that can't be very entrepreneurial, or know that they can stretch beyond certain boundaries that they're accustomed to, then you typically end up um, in a very stagnant stagnant place without a whole lot of creative uh, innovation, and that's that's actually not the talent um, at all that we're we're sort of we're sort of looking for. Um, so, all of that to be said, uh, we track this by measuring the happiness level of our employees at on and our team. 
through an engagement survey every year. Um, and Culture Amp is generally pretty shocked by uh, where our results skew on a lot of these questions. So they're typically much higher than baseline in terms of happiness. Uh, but things that we're most important, we're most happy about in terms of hyper growth uh, of individuals and the team is that uh, majority of people at ON definitely feel it's a place where um, they can contribute. They believe there are great opportunities. And the highest score actually that we get, I don't think you see it on here, but is this sense of freedom and autonomy. So even at a 2000 person organization, I think people would still... Uh, not I think, but according to the data, people would still tell you that um, the best thing about working for on as a sportswear brand is that it's a place where you still have so much control and freedom of choice to be a creative or be an innovator uh, and a thought leader in your space. Um, so that that brings me to the last point I'm going to talk about before we have some discussion. Uh, and this is very much on a release control mentality. Uh, and it's important for me that I'm walking you through this because I think there's a lot of people that, uh, you know, I interview hundreds of people a year and there's a lot of people that say they're eager to work for a startup or they're eager to have autonomy and they really want to work in an environment that doesn't have a lot of process. But the reality is it's not for everybody and that's a hundred percent okay. But I think it's really important, especially as students, when you're thinking about your career path really thinking through what type of environment has to be right in order for you to be successful. Because it's very two-way, right? Like what environment do you actually thrive in? And trying to separate yourself from the headlines of organizations that might sound sexy and cool and fun versus how those behaviors would truly impact who you are as a person, whether they would uh, complement or conflict with, with your value set. Right. So anyways, I will continue here. So we feel that the biggest risk to most companies is that they're not actually able to innovate fast enough. And you can see this time and time again, specifically in the sports industry, I think, um, just because it's such a competitive, competitive environment and there's really, it's really hard to find differentiators in many spaces, right? So it's important if, if innovation is important to you, it's it's a tough task to cut through a lot of the noise to find teams that you feel are truly setting setting an organization up for actually being able to be innovative versus just competitive and keeping up with current industry trends and what's happening. So we believe here freedom, employee freedom breeds innovation and process kills flexibility. Um, and so the ability for creative individuals to innovate and find better ways to achieve certain outcomes, it prevents people to use their own judgment and learn from the consequences of their decisions if you have too much process. Now, that being said, we have process it on, but it's not process for process sake. It's process when we feel it's connecting teams and allowing them to collaborate better and making people's work more efficient. It's not process just to have process to create layer, to create hierarchy, to create uh, any sort of um, roadblocks that get in the way of, of creative freedom. Cool. And I, and I always um, love this statement here. So freedom is not the opposite of, a, of accountability. Instead, it's a path toward it. If you give teams control over big decisions, they will become increasingly responsible and conscientious. Give freedom to get responsibility. 
And this is maybe uh, something that is is quite relevant as we shift the conversation to the type of talent we're looking for. Has anyone heard of Gary Gary Hamill before? If not, this is a, a model I'm sure you're familiar with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So essentially what he did is he took Maslow's hierarchy of needs and overlaid it with um, organizations and needs in a business world, right? And so I think it's actually quite important as a student. I kind of, I always wish I would have done a lot of this values-based work when I was in school. So I think you get very focused on the task at hand and being the best designer and creating the best work, which is important, but equally important is trying to actually define where do you actually want to put your energy in the world? (laughs) Like, why are you here? Why are you doing this? What is this connecting to? How does it make you feel? What what teammates do you need to work with in order to make you successful? What does leadership look like to you? And there's sort of this level that you go through, I think, probably in your in your career from start to finish, and it's not always a, a linear line, but essentially there's six uh, hierarchy of capabilities here. So you're looking from obedience to passion, right? And obedience is things like you're somebody that we could maybe hire and you're just going to show up and do the job that's fine. Maybe you just want to be that person. hundred percent. Okay. Diligence is a little bit more, you know, you're working hard, you're staying focused. Maybe you're someone that's putting in long hours. Then as you start to move up into this intellect, this intellect level, right? Um, you begin actually taking responsibility of your own skills. You're bringing your best practices to the workplace. You're maybe starting to influence or change some things within your team or your organization, initiative, you're taking full ownership of a problem or an opportunity. You're not actually bound by a definition of your job. So this is a super important one uh, add on, right? And, and maybe you, you've, you've heard folks um, <laughs> disdain the term before, this isn't my job. In an entrepreneurial environment that's hyper growth, fast scale, no job should be too small for you, really, if it's a place that you're, you really want to build and you're doing it in service of other people around you and your team. Um, and so it's it's a place where you don't want to get stuck in a box of, I am just a, a designer, or I am just a marketer, or I am just a, a product developer. There's lots of different ways to, to stretch outside of, outside of your silos. And then of course you get into, you know, human creativity, imagination. Um, I imagine this is probably where a lot of folks in this team fall, just given the creative nature of the minds on the call and your eagerness to to be in a design creative field. And then, of course, you know, for me, the the ultimate goal is this sort of passion and zeal pyramid, which is uh, a job for for me is not actually just intellectually meaningful. Certainly, it fills that cup for me, but it 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 it, it needs to be a little bit more even spiritually meaningful to me. Um, and a, a lot of meaning comes from my work, right? Which is which is a great thing if you're in a place where work fills your bucket and gives you curiosity and 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 some purpose. So, I think a lot of this uh, thinking here impacts impacts our our hiring uh, and the team structure that we have. Oh, great. This was the autonomy slide that I, I meant to touch. So innovation and entrepreneurship is in ON's DNA. It's what makes ON ON. And then you see here 
um, direct uh, responses from surveys. Uh, so 90% of folks feel they're able to use personal initiative or judgment in carrying out my work. This is like way above Culture Amp's baseline, and they work with a lot of industry brands and a lot of tech companies. Uh, so probably one that I'm the most proud of. Um, we're encouraged to be innovative, even though some of our initiatives may not exceed, and we have enough autonomy to perform our jobs effectively. So I think these are, again, just results of some of the, the building blocks and work that I tried to share with you in previous slides around the philosophy uh, of how we build our culture and, and create a, a candid feedback culture. And in, in some, uh, the company culture is really just our, our set of shared beliefs, values, behaviors, and common language within an organization. Uh, and I think... For, for all of you as you're looking to see what's next after these classes or school or in your current job, uh, hopefully it's important to you to, to have some sort of connection <laughs> to all of this, uh, unless you do just want to show up and do the job, which is that sort of uh, first foundational layer on the pyramid, which is totally okay, um, but uh, might not be so. Cool. I, I'm going to pause. Um, there because I think maybe it's best to have a, a bit of a, an open Q&A or discussion on some of what I shared and then also open up to if you guys want more specifics on actually a hiring process or specific talent we're looking for, then I'm, I'm very happy to, to go into any of that and, and would, of course, love to know anything that resonates with you or any takeaways um, from what I just shared. I can, I can start us off. Um, so I just, the, the last slide there, what resonates, I think the last few classes, we've really talked about this question of values. And I think in our program, we, we do focus so much on like technical skill building. Um, and the way that I kind of see it, it's like that portfolio and the skills that, that students develop. Um, that's what gets you the interview, but I feel like personality and values, like that's this kind of stuff that you can display and then in an interview. And that's ultimately like what gets you in the door. I don't know how you feel about that, but we've been talking a lot about this question of values. Um, how, how do you feel like you've personally like distilled down what your values are as, as an individual? Yeah. Um, so I'll, I, I want to address the first and just validate what you're saying. I have examples literally from the last seven days where I've been on interview panels and we've been down to two candidates. Um, and we have big interview panels and we have debrief calls and we discuss candidates top two. And in both cases, we've actually ended up going with the candidate that had less experience. So the choice was go with the person that has more experience in the field. Like definitely you could hire him or her. They would plug in on day one and be a hundred percent ready to rock and roll and go. Or there's always been the, the finalist candidate in these situations where you say they're not the most skilled and experienced, but through the interview process, we felt that they were the most in tune with the culture and they had the highest potential. So they're likely going to take more leadership. They're going to take more training. They're going to take more development. And in both cases, the hiring manager ended up going with the second person. So both times we went with the person that had less skill and more potential in what we saw. So I can't tell you enough. It is incredibly important to focus on more than just the skill set that gets your resume noticed and it gets you phone calls. It does not get you here all the way through an interview panel or to hiring. Like you need a lot more than you need a lot more than that. Um, 
And then your your question about uh, values it it takes it takes time um, and and a lot of practice. There's lots of things you can do out there. I'm sure you've seen, you know, there's strengths based finders. Um, I'm happy to share actually with this team just a few tools that are totally free. So there's a, a Barrett's value system. If you haven't done that, um, we have our teams do it about every six months because your values change over time, actually. So it's not as if you take it and then that's just who you are as a person for the rest of your life. And those are the, the values that are important to you. Um, but it's a really nice tool. It takes five minutes. It's really good to calibrate kind of where you are on the, the hierarchy and what's important to you. And you'll probably notice in your career and over time, that very much starts to change. And it's very true for businesses. So, you know, we we joke if we were to have done it for on in the early days, we would have been at the very foundational element of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is just like, can we cut a check right now to our production factories? Like, I don't know if we have enough money to pay for what's coming. Like we just have to keep, we essentially just have to keep the lights on. We're trying to survive. And, you know, now eight and a half years later, I think we've moved a bit further up where it's all about connection to purpose and culture. And as a brand that now has not just financial resources, but we feel one of the best teams because ultimately it's the team that's been able to make this growth story happen you know, a question I always ask myself and not to get too political as I think sometimes, should I leave the business world and, and go go into politics? And I always end up with the answer is no, because I actually think that businesses that have the right mindset and the right resources can make a much greater impact on the world. And so this is a bit more the conversation and values that that we're having. So sorry for the the tangent, but I will follow up with uh, some some of this work that I think you can do just to have a starting place for you because it's super important and it's great in interviews to be able to drop those things. <laughs> That's great, super helpful. Yeah. <laughs> the canyons are closed today, so it's okay. Uh, okay. Oh, here's a question in the chat. Um, what are some things um, that help you connect your philosophy to the company and vice versa? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think uh, a lot of it ties to this values work. And, and fortunately, just because I, I was able to start it on in the early days, I, I've been a part of building what the team and culture looks like. So I feel like an owner and on, I feel very responsible for the philosophy that we have. Um, and so it's not a situation where a philosophy is just created in a room and then handed down, right? I'm typically in the room creating the philosophy with our founders. And I'm not just doing that as an individual with my own viewpoints. I'm doing that collectively representing the team that I'm serving in the Americas region, right? And so I think it just takes a lot of openness and a lot of vulnerability and a lot of conversation with your teams. I think we probably spend, you know, compared to some other companies I've, I've been a part of or know, we, we probably spend a, a disproportionate amount of time sometimes on uh, really uh, connecting to values and philosophy and leadership at on. We, we over, over invest in it because we, we believe it's so important um, to the future. So yeah. Hey, if I didn't have a connection, if my philosophy didn't connect to on's philosophy, I wouldn't be here. Um, and anytime anything has been in, in conflict uh, at all, which has been very, very, very rare, it's usually just something given the culture that we have, which I just expressed this sort of radical candor culture. It's a place where you can challenge things. So I'm fighting with our founders every week, essentially. Um, and you know, the next month we're going 
on a family trip together. We're at the bar having a beer together. There's no, there's no drama hung up in it because we can just be real and challenging uh, and honest with, with anything that could potentially be a conflict if we don't agree that it's something that we should do as a team. So openness and conversation, I would say. I have a question. Um, one thing I've, I think I've experienced a lot in teams that I've been part of is it seems like the default is sort of that control and process phase, making sure all the little tasks are getting done. And the team can kind of function at that level, but in terms of like success and innovation and happiness, it, it just doesn't seem to be there long-term. Yeah. Um, and it's something that I've been thinking about a lot. And so I think your presentation has been really helpful. And I'm wondering if you have, if in this process, this idea, these ideas probably haven't formed just inside of on, do you have like additional resources or books or people we should continue to learn from about how to really foster freedom and innovation? Yep. Um, Erin Meyer is one of my favorite authors on the subject. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she, she's written, um, uh, she did work, she did work a lot with Reed Hastings at Netflix. And I do want to reiterate, we don't adopt that full culture because we skew a bit more on the psychological safety, loyalty, people first organization. We want a high performing culture, but we don't want to be a cutthroat organization where people are scared to show up at work every day, right? We want people to be, be free and to know, uh, they're not always on every day. But she has done some really incredible work with him. Um, she wrote a book called The Culture Map, which I use, especially as a global organization. And I, you know, Latin America and, and Caribbean are, are under leadership of this team now. And so that's been really interesting if you all are going to global companies, because this feedback philosophy doesn't always land well in different cultures, right? And so she can really map out. Hey, if I'm if I have to have a feedback conversation with someone in Brazil, it's going to be very different than a feedback conversation that I'm going to have with somebody in the U.S. Polar opposite value system, polar opposite ways of working, different communication styles, right? So you add the global layer, and it gets quite a bit more complicated. But um, Aaron Aaron Meyer is a great one, um, I think. And then Stephen Kotler, I'm a big fan of him. He's not a huge He's more into, he wrote like Stealing Fire, The Art of Impossible, I would highly recommend, especially for creative folks. Um, that's really a book about, yeah, finding finding purpose and passion and how you essentially architect your life to live that uh, every day in a very values-based way. So I would recommend that one. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Got a question. This came up um, in some previous conversations that we've had with, with guest speakers is, this idea of not every company has this really strong, positive culture and defined culture and defined values. Mm -hmm. um, and students are going to work. I, a lot of our graduates are going to work for companies that have defined systems and culture and values. And others are going to work for small companies where it's just, you know, just trying to keep the lights on. Yeah. Um, when, do you recommend like a, a student or like one of our students or an employee, like when is it too much? Let's, for example, if like, I, I think it's positive for our, our graduates to like try to be a force for, for good within companies and, mm -hmm. and try to affect positive change. Mm -hmm. um, 
But when is it too much? When are you spinning your wheels too much if the company is resistant to moving in a more positive direction and it becomes a toxic environment? Like, Mm -hmm. how do you know? What are the science of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting question. Probably much more relevant. um, Yeah, in today's world, I think. Hey, you have to just have some emotional intelligence and be able to take social cues. So um, this is why I think it's also very important to go through values exercises or self-awareness thinking and work. So you, you understand how you're actually being perceived by other people. That's the true definition of self-awareness, right? A lot of people think that they're very self-aware, but the reality is most people are not um, because it's, there's always a gap a bit between how you think you're showing up in the world and how others perceive you to be showing up in the world. And when you can really figure that out, then I think it's much easier for you to understand like, Hey, probably pushing too hard. Um, and hopefully in, in smaller organizations, you're working with people or you feel comfortable enough to just ask the question, like, Hey, these things are important to me. I would love to see this rolled out in this organization, but you know what, you're the owner or you're, you're the leader. Uh, can you just, can we just have a check-in? Like, can you just let me know, am I pushing too hard here? Or what's your appetite? What's the team's appetite? Is this important to you or not? And then at least you have an answer to know, like, if it's not important, how long do you want to stay there? Um, is it important to you? Do you care enough? Like maybe, maybe you don't care enough, uh, to, to make it impact your, your decision, but, Sometimes, uh, you know, the answers to these big meaty questions are as simple as having a conversation. I have a question. Yep. Sorry. Um, you had mentioned you'd like work for startups and stuff like that. I'm currently working for a startup. How does how do you balance, say, like the culture or communication? Because you have a lot more weight on your shoulders when you're in a startup than when you're in a big company. So how does that balance um, of like communication and making sure things get across well enough to ensure that success is throughout? Yeah. Um, well, that's great. You're at a startup. I hope you're enjoying it. I love startups. That's why I joined on. Um, and that's actually why I'm still here. So we're, we're big by numbers, but we try and create almost like mini startups within our organization, which is also why I think we've been able to remain very agile. Um, and the company feels very entrepreneurial. So most people, like even if we have people come from Nike or an Audi, they go, this is crazy the way you guys work. This is so different. Um, so I, I can empathize with you. I think um, communication is just so, so important. And I touched on it. Um, I touched on it on one slide, right? So I think there's this mentality you have to have in a startup, which is you might've been hired for one job, but that's probably not your job. <laughs> I would guess. Yeah, I'm getting a smile and a head shake. So I would guess that that statement relates to you. Um, hey, I remember when I started it on, I was a, uh, I was in, mar- I was a marketing person, but at that time we weren't even taking taxes out of paychecks. We didn't have healthcare. Um, we were like our own janitor service for the office. Like I was cleaning toilets. Uh, we were doing it all right. And I think you, you sort of have to that takes a lot from somebody. So you kind of have to want to be in that environment. You have to know that there's potential to build something great and that it's also giving you what you need. So it's fulfilling you intellectually. It's fulfilling your curiosity. Um, but yeah, hey, in those moments, again, I think it's just uh, over-communication and, and expectation uh, that not everyone has the answers. I have one other question. 
Yep. Um, have you have you ever been in charge of a team where you can see that the just the the goal of freedom and autonomy just doesn't sit well with some of the team members? And how do you handle that? Yes. Um, this is typically the case. I don't want to totally generalize here, but I will just to to make my answer a little more simple. I find this mostly with um, like finance and IT folks. It's it's uh, they want to be entrepreneurial, but it's also a skill where it's a bit harder to. They have a harder time grasping onto that just based on sort of their their preferences of of how of how they work, and so it just again takes a lot more coaching and it takes a lot more sitting with them and saying, "Hey, you know, how would you... the ro- the role that I try and play as a leader? I guess maybe maybe this helps." I I switched my leadership style probably 10 years ago when I realized that I am I should stop trying to be a hero and I should try and be a coach. Because I think oftentimes people, leaders come into teams and are just like, oh, I got it. I'll take care of it. I'll do it. Let me do this. I'm going to rewrite this. This is the this is the situation. And I think once you get to a place where you can just take a pause and say, I'm not going to be the person that has all the answers. I don't have to have all the answers. This team needs to come up with the answers because this is the way the culture works. So typically when I get complaints about process, this isn't working, this is driving me nuts, I'm not collaborating, then I always just say, okay, well, how would you solve it? How do you want to solve it? What what are you going to do to fix it? How can I help you? Right. And typically you can ask three questions and everybody always has the answer. It's a miracle. It actually makes my job very, 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 very easy. Um, But but I think people just sort of crave someone that they can be curious with and somebody that's going to give them validation back to know that they have the answer and to just do it. It's, it's as simple as that, I think. Cool. That's great. And I know we're at time, but there's, uh, there's a couple more in here. Um, I think we can hang on if, if you have a minute and you don't mind yep. going over a couple. Yeah, of yeah. All right. Okay, so during the interview process, what indicators do you look for in an applicant to see if they'll be a good culture fit within your company? Um, well, we all want to work with nice humans, so that's probably the first thing. Um, if anyone's not nice, they will not move forward <laughs> in an interview. Um, I try and look for people that have energy. So oftentimes I meet candidates that I think, gosh, on paper, you're so amazing or your skills great. I've got great references from you, but in a call, I'm sort of like, do you actually want to work it on? I don't like I'm, I'm lacking a bit of, and I don't, not everyone's needs to like be the most vibrant person on in an interview. I'm not suggesting you change your style, but show that you care enough about on and you know what's happening and why you want to, why you want to work there. I think also, you know, we're we're very much um, tied to our values or our spirits, we call them. So we, we're explorer spirit, which is people that are willing to venture into the unknown. So if you can show that you're somebody who's taken a risk in your life or you're a little bit of a rebellious thinker, um, that always helps. Uh, athlete spirit, that doesn't mean you have to be an athlete, but it means like be somebody that knows if you make a mistake, you just you need to move on from it. Like get up, move on, learn from it and go to the next thing. <laughs> don't make them, don't, don't keep making the same mistakes, but, but learn, um, somebody that can be very team oriented. Right. So, uh, yeah, I never want to, I especially never like to interview leaders that use certain language, which is, you know, my people, my team, my, this, I, this, uh, those are just sort of probably 
um, indicators I have. So I think language is super important because I don't want to, I don't want to hire people that are trying to build kingdoms or that want to play into a hierarchical system. We spend a lot of time together. We travel all over the world together. We run together. We ski together. Are you somebody that, uh, the team wants to do that with? <laughs> That's great. We, we ought to probably call it there. Britt, this has been so helpful, giving us a lot to think about. I appreciate you taking time. Cool. Um, yeah. Obviously you're incredibly busy. Um, can we just refer people to your LinkedIn? Is that probably the best? Oh, yeah. Way? Yep. You can refer people to our LinkedIn and I'm very excited. We just launched our new careers page yesterday and it's so amazing. I spent all night on it because I was just like enamored with all the cool stuff that's going on. So I think it's just a nice place to get a feel for what's happening. And then you're welcome to share my email. So if anyone just didn't feel comfortable asking questions today, or you have some that come up, um, you're welcome to shoot me an email. That's fine. Thanks for listening to the Highlander podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.